You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? It's good to see all your faces. I love this. You guys don't get this view. I get the best view in the house. There's no question about it. Uh, my name's Simon. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. If you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you. Say hi. Hear your story. What brought you here? For those watching online, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait for you to be back in here, but understand that sometimes you can't make it. So hopefully this is a blessing to you if you're watching online. Um, I am fascinated with the Amish. I know. It's so weird. I don't know. I I can't get my hands around it. But if you don't know about the Amish people, um, they are a a devoted group of Christian individuals who live a very simple life, we could say. Um, They want to be away from the city. They want to be away from the evil of the world. Um, They don't use electricity. They don't use plumbing. Um, They make their own clothes. They're really good at making preserves. And they are very good at woodworking. There's just something about that. And they ride around in buggies. There's just something about the Amish that I just go, I don't, I'm having a hard time understanding. But there's something about the Amish that I really admire, that they are very, very community oriented. Like they are all about serving the entire community of the Amish people. So if someone's in need, they'll go meet that need. When they build barns, they'll do the barn raising events where they'll raise the barns. And, and they're doing these things without electricity, without power for the most part. And they're doing pretty phenomenal things. So I was watching a video on the Amish this week. Not a normal thing, but I was doing that. And I watched them and said, hey, we have to move this house. And I'm like, oh, you're going to load up the van. You're going to drive this stuff down the road. No, no. They were going to move a house. I'm like, what? So I, I turned the video on, and you've got this house. It's probably about 2,000 square feet. It's a very large workshop home. And they grab the joists, and about 100 to 200 young men pick up this house. They take it off its foundation. They get on the road. They walk a quarter mile down the road. And then they lay it on another foundation. That's crazy. There's no, like, you just don't do that. We don't move houses. And yet, they're able to do that. Because they have figured out that if they can bring everyone together, that many hands makes a light load, even when you're lifting a house. You couldn't do it with one person. You couldn't do it with two people. It'd be hard with a bunch of construction equipment. But yet I watched a 20-minute video where they moved a house a quarter mile down the road. It's amazing what can be accomplished with enough manpower and someone saying, go left, go right, go straight, go here, slow down, drop, lift. It's funny. I'm sure this is how the disciples felt when Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving you here and I want you to go out into the world. I want you to go to Jerusalem, like check, Judea, Samaria, eh, and the ends of the earth. What? And I want you to go take my message everywhere. And they may have felt a little bit like these Amish boys that have this enormous task of moving a house a quarter mile down the road. They're like, how are we going to do this? And yet we see that this is where we're going to land today as Paul enters his second missionary journey to go out, to continue to take the message forward that we see that God is going to start to build out the manpower and the team for who and what he's going to do with his message and saving men and women. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Acts 16. That's where we land and where we left off last week. 
We're going to be in verses 1 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can use those to follow along. It's the same translation that we're using. But if you don't have a Bible and you're new here, I would just say, please take that Bible, keep it. We want you to have God's word so you can hear God speak to you as well. All right, starting in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, but he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered uh, to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phygera and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Misa, they attempted to go to... Um, these words are killing me, just so you know. Like, I struggle just like you, but I have to do it in front of all of you. <laughs> uh, Bithany, uh, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Misa, they went to uh, Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samoris and followed through Nepolis and from there to Philippi, I got that one right, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, uh, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyanicra, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let me pray and we'll jump into this study for today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the book of Acts watching how you build your church, watching how you spread the gospel, watching how you save lives, watching how you are showing us pictures of what we are called to as well. Lord, I thank you for the men and the women that have gone before us that were faithful to trusting you and taking step by step by step to where you would lead them. Ultimately, we can be thankful that we have the gospel message because of all these faithful men and women who trusted you, believed you, and brought the message to us as well. Lord, I ask is that we press into this today that you would open our eyes to things that maybe we need to re-examine in our life. If there are things that we need to make changes and allow us to do that, if there are areas that we need to be involved, uh, show us where those are. As always, Holy Spirit, if there are things you don't want me to say, please take them from my words, uh, from my mind, from my text, so I can just be faithful to doing what you want. And if there's anything that I do need to say this morning that's not in my notes, that I would trust you and faithfully just say what you want me to say, knowing that it's going to penetrate the heart of an individual here this morning for their encouragement. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. 
So the first thing that we see is there's going to be more help along this journey that's taking place. Uh, Looking back at last week, we saw that the dream team of the missionaries had split. They had gone their separate ways. But in that, you may have missed something. It's kind of subtle, but it's not really like drawn out. But there's something that happened. They didn't go alone. You're like, well, of course they didn't. But think about that. They each picked a partner to go with them to do the work at hand. See, this is modeled The entire time that Jesus was in ministry, Jesus did ministry with his disciples. At one point, he sent his disciples out and he sent them in pairs. He sent them out together. We saw that with James, uh, sorry, with John and Peter, they were preaching the word and they were getting thrown in jail together. We see that Paul and Barnabas were sent out on that first missionary journey together. Like there's this rhythm that takes place that the gospel moves forward within community, that there's always community going out to reach more community, that they would be strengthened to send more community out, that that's how the church is always meant to be. I I always say this all the time. The church didn't have a building for the first 300 years, yet they they thrived and they grew and it was a beautiful thing. It's not about a building. It's about a group of people on mission, in submission to God, going forward with his message. And what we see is that they are really living out a principle that is laid into the heart of the Bible. Maybe you know it, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he, fa- when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what that tells us? As believers, as Christians, as God's people, we're not meant to be lone rangers in this. We're not meant to be by ourselves. I talk to people and they say, oh, I just, I just do my own thing. I, well, man, I love you, but that's just not biblical. There's no evidence of that anywhere in the Bible. The time that we see Paul alone is when? Prison. He's like, I can't get out. They, they made me get alone. That's a punishment. And he wants to get out. So as soon as Paul and Silas, they, they, they uh, go out to Derby, they go out to Lystra, there's this guy they meet. It's a guy that we'll hear of for a lot through the rest of our time in Acts. It's, we're going to probably be in it at some point, uh, the actual books of that. But there's a man that they meet named Timothy. He's well known by the disciples. He's serving in the church there. Uh, everyone knows who he is. They think fondly of him. And for some reason, there's this connection that happens between him and Paul very quickly. Paul sees something in Timothy. He sees this young, eager man who wants to be about the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, serving the people of the church, and seeing the gospel spread to other areas. And so he sees him and he goes, this guy has the making of a great pastor. This guy has the making of a fantastic shepherd. This guy has the ability to understand the gospel, communicate it, and serve others in that community. And what we see is Paul says, I want you to come with me. And he starts building out his team. He understands this principle. Yeah, I got Silas, but I'm gonna need more help for what we're called to do. I don't have enough people to be on task. Now, Timothy, we're told, uh, he had a mother named Eunice. We know her name from 2 Timothy 1.5 and a grandmother named Lois who poured into him. 
They were Jewish, but the father, who we don't know really anything about, was Greek. He was a Gentile. But according to Jewish tradition, uh, that his mom was Jewish, that made him Jewish. The only problem was that mom, for whatever reason, she didn't have him circumcised when he was supposed to be circumcised and didn't follow the law. And so that just never took place. And now you might be thinking back to Acts 15, when we talked about this a little about two weeks ago, and we had the Council of Jerusalem. They said, hey, we're not going to heap a bunch of rules and laws on these Gentiles. We're not going to, you don't have to be circumcised and follow the law for salvation. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And you might be going, well, wait a minute. Well, then why would he take Timothy and then have him get circumcised if, if, if that's not, not a part of the deal? Well, I want to talk about that just so we understand. So there's not a contradiction in the Bible. Paul's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. But the first thing is this. This is not about Timothy's salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. It already says he's a believer, right? They went in and said there was a believer named Timothy. He is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul's not saying anything about the gospel of salvation. It's not a salvific issue. You are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's the first thing that we need to understand, okay? That's not what it's about. The second thing is Timothy was considered a Jew, okay? And so even though he had a Jewish, uh, a Gentile father, he wasn't considered a Gentile. He was considered a Jew. Here's the thing we need to understand. The Jews were never called to abandon their tradition and their history. They were never called to abandon that. They said that you're not going to earn your salvation through works, it's through Jesus Christ. But they could still continue to worship God. Those things were from God. They were good things. All the, all the traditions and all the celebrations and all the holidays and the festivals, those are good things. They point to something great and good. So, because he was Jewish, it changed the situation. He wasn't talking to a Gentile about salvation. He was talking to a Jew about what that looked like. Now, we know that Paul had a rhythm when he went to certain towns and villages, right? Where was the first place that he would always go? Always go to the synagogue, didn't he? He's like, I'm going to go there because I got common ground. I don't have to do a bunch of heavy lifting because they all believe in the same God. I'm just going to show them how this God has been manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now you know that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. So he always goes to the synagogue. He starts there to deal with those individuals. Well, here's the problem. He's like, okay, Timothy, come along with me. Well, he's not circumcised, so that's going to create a huge problem for him to be engaged with the Jews in the synagogues of that time. How are we going to listen to you? You're unclean. You shouldn't be with us. You couldn't even come to dinner with us because you're considered unclean, so we can't be around you. So what's really happening is saying, we're, we're getting rid of barriers. We're getting rid of problems that are going to hinder the gospel from going problem. Uh, from going forward. So he's saying, I'm going to get rid of this so we can communicate to the Jewish men and women that God loves them and this is not going to be some weird hiccup. It's not going to ruffle their feathers. See, Paul was all about the gospel going forward. He was never going to compromise doctrine or theology. Anything else was fair game. Anything else is fair game. And he's like, I don't need more boundaries in communicating the gospel because the gospel is already offensive enough. Why should we put more offenses upon that? And he said, we're going to lay down the things that we have liberties in because we care about the gospel so much that we would sacrifice our liberties for their salvation to hear the gospel message. And that's really what's going on. So yeah, we have liberties. Yeah, we don't have to be under this. Yeah, we're not under the law. But if that's going to stop people hearing about Jesus, I don't need my liberties. 
And I would just say this to anyone here today. Maybe you understand the liberties that you have in Jesus Christ, the freedom that you have in Christ. But do you push that in such a way that it becomes an obstacle for others to hear the truth of the gospel? Are you making things that aren't really, they're, they're morally neutral, if you will, but you're standing there like, I am free, I can do this and I can do whatever I want. And it becomes so offensive that no one can even hear you talk about who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Maybe there's some things in our heart, in our lives, things that we partake in that maybe when we're talking to certain people, we lay those down and we let go of those things because ultimately they're not important. What's important is Christ and his name going forward and men and women being saved and hearing the message. And so we see what happens is that's why Paul does this, right? And so then Paul then goes, which is funny, he gets, he, Timothy gets circumcised, then he goes and tells everyone, hey, you don't have to follow the law, you don't have to get circumcised. I'm sure like Timothy's first day is like, really? This is what, I gotta do what? <laughs> it's a rough day, I'm just saying. So then he tells everybody else there, hey, you don't have to adhere to the law, you don't have to uh, participate in these things for salvation, it's by grace alone, through faith alone. And you know what the response was? It's encouragement that they're like, yes, the gospel is what you said it was. You didn't bait and switch us, that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. And it says that many people came to faith in Jesus and their numbers grew. Like, I just, I, I love, it's like, hey, we're gonna tell you the gospel very, very clear and very plain. And then people are encouraged and they come to Jesus in numbers. We have a really big problem of muddling up the gospel all the time. And we go, oh yeah, grace alone, faith alone, and all these other things you have to do as well. Wait, what? See, we, we mess it up. Just stop there. Give them the gospel. Um, one of the things I say uh, often, and I read from the front up here all the time, is Romans 1, 16, 17. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That you want to see the power of God, you want to see God's power move forward, give him the gospel. It's simple. The gospel's not highly complicated. That's what makes it so attractive that we don't earn our way to God. We don't have to follow all these rules, jump through all these hoops for him to be happy. It's not based on my work. It's based on one who is perfect, Jesus. So he did what we couldn't. He knew that we were under the penalty and the wrath of God because we've been in rebellion of sin. We feel that guilt. We feel that shame, don't we? We know, we lie awake at night. We look up at the ceiling and go, why did I do this? Why did this happen? I wish I wouldn't have done that. So all that's gone. You can come to me freely. I died for those sins. I died for those mistakes. I died for those regrets. I died for what was done to you. And all you have to do is go to the cross and lay those burdens on the foot of the cross. You don't have to hold on to them anymore. They're not yours to carry. Jesus died for them. And what you can find on the other side is healing and forgiveness and an eternity with the Father for forever. And all you have to do is call on Jesus for help. Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. That's attractive. That's what people want. So 
Paul goes, he does all this stuff. He meets Timothy. Their team has now grown a little bit. Well, where next? It's funny, when doors close in life, it's hard to know what to do next, isn't it? You ever been there? You try to make some decisions, you try to move forward, and then all of a sudden these doors keep shutting and closing. Like, well, I thought I was, I don't know. How come? People say, well, if God closes a door, get out a battling ram. I'm like, well, maybe not. Like, you might want to rethink that a little bit. I remember when in 2020, uh, when Annette and I had clearly heard God tell us that it was time, our time in Seattle had come to an end. That's exactly the phrase that I heard from God. Annette heard that as well. And so we said, okay, we told our elders and had them pray for us. And we started figuring out, like, we got nine months, let's figure this thing out. And we started applying to all these churches. And what we found was everyone also was applying for churches all over the nation. It was very hard to find a job as a pastor, let alone a lead pastor, which takes a long time. And so there was one church that we thought God had called us to. There was 500 applicants. That's a, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot of competition. <laughs> I made top 10. I'm like, woo! And then they didn't call me back. I'm like, Whoa! So I'm like, I felt good and I felt horrible at the same time. And then we found a couple other churches and we were like, you know, 230 uh, to, to like 300 was like the range of applicants. And we got in, we were like the top two, top one. And I'm like, all right. And then a theological issue would come up. I'm like, whoa, 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 we're not compatible here. And then that door shut. And then we found another church we thought we were going to go to, flew out there, did the whole thing. We were like, yeah, we're in. And then all of a sudden, like the door just shut because they got weird. And I'm like, God, I say that really kindly and lovingly. <laughs> uh, and so that door shut. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what am I doing? God, like, what are you telling me right now? Should I like, are you, did I hear you wrong? Am I doing the wrong thing? Should I not be a lead pastor? Should I not even be a pastor? Should I go back to being in the secular workforce? I mean, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. Like, maybe this was my stint. Maybe that's what you wanted. Maybe I can, like, maybe, maybe I, I, I got let off the hook for ministry. Maybe I'm supposed to just take it easy for a little while. And, and I'll be really honest, and, and Annette knows this, and we've, we've talked about it. Like, I was ready to give up. At that point, I'm like, I, I have spent, like, one church was 25 hours on Zoom calls. You just think about that for a little bit. <laughs> I was so done. I was so tired of writing different um, papers and my stance on different things. I'm just done. And my dad dies in the process. I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm just like, I'm just going to get a job someplace. I don't care what it is. I'll go sell widgets for some company. I don't care. And then Annette's like, hey, let's try one more round. Let's just do one more round of interviews and see what happens. Maybe God wanted to get us at this point because he had something really good in store. And I'm like, I don't know. It would have been so easy to be like, I don't want to do it. I'm done. But Annette just prayed and she kind of lovingly and gently nudged me to just, just try it again. I'm like, okay, we'll give it one more round. And then after that, I, I, think, I think we're done here. You want to know why I'm here? Because my wife was obedient to listen to God and to, to lovingly push me to keep moving forward on what we had heard God say. So you, go thank her. And so closed doors can be hard, but that's not we're, not, we're not immune to it. Paul's not immune to it. Next, we've got a slide coming up here. You know, I've been loving the slides and the laser because I like to use the laser gun. That's really the only reason why I have them up there, so I can point on things. But what we see is that, so there's... There's Lystra and Derby. That's where they pick up Timothy and they start going. It's like, hey, we're going to keep pushing up. 
They're going to go through Antioch. They're like, we're going to just keep moving up this way because they need to hear the message. Ends of the earth, right? Just keep pushing forward. So they get to Asia. They're like, sweet. I think Asia, they need to hear the gospel. That's the ends of the earth. They should hear the gospel. And something happens. Holy Spirit's like, eh, eh. Like, what? We know the reason because the Holy Spirit said no, but we don't know why. We don't understand the circumstances. We don't know what took place in that area. And so they're like, all right, well, we're, so we're not going to go into Asia. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go up the road, guys. We're just going to keep walking. And then, oh, there's a place called Bithany. Hey, we'll go there. And they're like, cool, we'll go in there. God's like, eh, eh. Okay. Now, imagine how Silas and Timothy are feeling right now. They're like, Paul's our leader. Where are we going, man? I don't know. God just keeps saying no. Let's just keep walking. Okay, man. And like Timothy's like still sore. He's like, I just signed up for this thing and you made me do this thing I didn't want to do. And now I'm like, where are we going, dude? So where do they go? Traz. They go to the beach. I'm like, that's a great place to go hear what God wants you to go. Go to the beach. So they go to the coast and they head over there. And what they, and here's what I love. I, we don't, they're, they're seeking God out. God, we're just going to keep moving forward. You've called us to something. What do you want us to do? It's interesting because they could have just been like, ah, let's just take a break. Maybe God's saying we're done. We did what we needed to do. We can take a vacation. It's not a big deal. And they're probably wondering, like, what do we do next? So they're praying. They're seeking out God. Have you ever been on a long hike? You got a lot of time to think, a lot of time to pray. You know, we want to be in your will, Lord, but what do you want us to do? I love what they do. They do what my, my friend Adam used to tell me all the time. Just keep doing what God told you to do last. <laughs> he says it all the time. Just keep doing that until he tells you something else. And so what they do is they just keep moving forward. They know Matthew 18, uh, 28, 18 through 20. They know Acts 1 through 8. Just keep going and spreading the gospel. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them what I've commanded you. Just keep doing that. I read this quote from James Montgomery Boyce this week. I thought it was really good. Uh, he says this, when God closes doors, it's not because he has nothing for us to do. He does not want us to take a vacation. It is to keep us from getting into work to which we are not called in order that we might be saved for work which we are. Every closed door is God saving you for something that he has called you to. But you just keep moving forward. You might be in a season right now where you're looking for God, like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? How do you want me to serve other people? Here's what I would say. You know the Great Commission. Just keep doing that. And you know what I've come to find a lot of times? Sometimes there's open doors in front of your face that you don't even see. Maybe it's a neighbor. Like, I hate that neighbor. Maybe that's actually your open door to go love that neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone that you see on a very regular basis. Maybe it's some family members. Maybe it's some friends. That maybe God has been opening doors for you to engage those that don't know Jesus, that you would show them Jesus through your words, through your actions, through your deeds, through your self-sacrifice, through your caring, through your priorities. You ever think about how people see your priorities and they actually can relate that if you love Jesus or not? There's something to that. 
And in this time of prayer, we see that, that Paul gets a vision. I want to give you a side note. This is a freebie. Do what you want with it. Uh, I hear people all the time, ah, the Lord told me this, or I had a vision from the Lord. And all I would say is this. If it is in conflict or disagreeance with the Bible, that is not a vision from the Lord. Period. <laughs> God doesn't contradict himself, okay? It may be that you have some latitude and longitude to do some different things, and that's fine, that's great. But if it contradicts God, if it disagrees with God, if it's different than Scripture... That is not a vision from the Lord. That is from the enemy, and you should run from it directly, and you should oppose whatever that is. Okay, that's a freebie. Do what you want with that. So Paul gets this vision, and there's this vision of a man from Macedonia, and he's on the other side of the coast. So if the, oh, the slide's not up there, but you can throw, can you throw the, the map up there real quick. This is where he's being called to go. This is where he's at. That's like 200 miles sailing. Okay, that's roughly what that is to get to that point. And so he's like, I want you to come to the other side of the coast. And, and the, the vision says this. All the man says this. Come over and help us. So direct. So pointed. <laughs> we need help. What do they need help with? They need the gospel. The help they need is the gospel. The help that they need is that they need to know that there's a Savior that loves them and cares for them, that there are people that are going to be separated from God for forever, and Jesus is the only way to the Father, and they are to help them by bringing that truth to them so they will be with God forever. What I love is like these men sought out God. He gives them the truth, and it says that immediately, <laughs> they're like, get a boat, let's get on the road, let's go. They didn't wait. They didn't fiddle-faddle around. They just said, we're leaving. And you know what's happening right now? The gospel is now going to Europe. If you know anything about America, we're connected to that. <laughs> the fact that the gospel is now going to Europe is actually really influential in where we are in life and who we are as individuals. They're leaving the east. They're moving out to a different area. It was pagan. The gospel had not yet reached there. There, there weren't even that. There were some Jews out there, but not a lot of Jews that were out there. So it was a um, lots of different pagan worship going on. And what we see is that it's also moving towards the Roman world. God was going to use the Romans to kick the gospel into high gear as it went forward. You know that saying, "All roads lead to Rome." All roads from Rome lead someplace else too, don't they? And that's what God understood that we didn't understand. He was going to use their technology of, of, of plumbing and of roads and all those things. He was going to use that to move the gospel forward, to get to areas they once couldn't get to, that they could have ease of transport to take the gospel to other areas. And that was going to be the hub where everything was going to spread out. God knew what he was doing. He wanted him there because he was going to plant seeds in that area that were going to have a ramification for the entire world. That's what he was doing. And to us, it all makes sense now, right? You're like, well, yeah, just turn the page and I've got the book of Romans and I know exactly what was going on. Duh. They didn't. Every day was like, maybe. I don't know. Should I? Can I keep going? I, God, no, yes. Everything was a leap of faith. Everything was trusting God, believing that God is who he said he, who he is, what he's done, and believing that enough to move ourselves into motion to do what he's called us to do. 
They had no idea what was going on half the time. They just trusted God, stepped forward, heard his voice, and did what he called them to do. And God opened doors and brought people to them. This other thing starts to happen. Verse 10. Verse 10 is great. There's one word in there that we can skip over super, super fast. If we go back uh, there, it just says this. Flip the page too much. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What's the word I, uh, that's so important in there? Anyone? No. We. The word we is there. Why is that word so important? It's the first person plural. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. He's been using the word they, 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 they. And all of a sudden, verse 10, it says, we. What does that mean? That means that Dr. Luke is joining the team. He's joining the mission. Now we've just, we've gone from these two guys, we got these four guys. Could you imagine if like your church planting team is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke? Think we're gonna do pretty good here. I think we've got a winning combination of who's gonna go forward. That's a solid group of men that are gonna move the gospel forward. And yes, immediately is super important because they were obedient to what God wanted them to do. And I will say this. Some of you have heard God tell you what to do and you're sitting in port. You need to be immediate. Don't waste any time. If he's called you to do it, he wants you to do it and he'll provide the steps of the way. Like, well, this isn't gonna work. Just step out in faith just like they did and watch God work as he moves forward to, to lay out the plans that he has for you. So they get there and they go down this river to pray. Go to Macedonia, go to the river to pray. Now, it's funny how God brings people into your life, right? Have you ever thought about that? God just brings all these different people into your life all the time. I was at a, a, a conference this week for Transformation Ministries. It's the association that we're connected with, and we do a lot of stuff through them. We give a lot of money. Um, and I met, it was a small group, like 25 individuals in, in that association. And I met two guys, never met them before in my life. And we just start talking. And all of a sudden, I'm connected to them with like six, seven, eight people that I grew up with, the church that I came to Christ in. This guy is the director of TM. He's like, what church in Los Gatos? I'm all, Calvary Church. Oh, Calvary Baptist. I'm all, yeah, they dropped the Baptist, but Calvary Baptist. He's like, Do you? and we just started rattling off names. Like, when were you there? I'm like, I was here. He's like, we were there at the same time. We know all the same people. God did all this stuff. And so we're encouraging other because God intertwines lives constantly in all these weird and crazy and unique ways. And why? Because it's always for the purpose of God's glory. It's always for God's glory. They're like, look at how God was working in all these spots. How can I be connected to this guy that I've never met before? Because we actually have all these similar friends and we are kindred spirits. We are brothers. We sat under the same teaching of the same pastor. We need to understand that everything that's happening in our lives has meaning and it has purpose. It doesn't happen randomly. And all of this purpose is for one thing, to point to Jesus in some way, shape, or form with our life. And as Paul ends up in this pagan city in a place called Philippi, we'll see about that later on, they were there and Sabbath rolls around. So Sabbath rolls around, so what's Paul looking for? Looking for a synagogue, right? Here's the problem. 
That there had some stuff that took place in 49 AD where they kind of pushed all the synagogues, any that were there, they pushed them outside of the inner city and they were on the outskirts if there was even any synagogues there. So they couldn't find a synagogue. So it says they go out of the city, they try to find a place to worship and to pray and they go down to the riverside. Now that may seem weird, like why, that seems like a weird verse. Why the riverside? Why would they even look to the riverside? Why would the Bible even bring that up? Everything in the Bible has meaning and purpose and value. So if you understand how the synagogues functioned and the traditions and the ceremonies, especially the ceremonial washings that took place, to do all those ceremonial washings, what do you need? You need water. A lot of synagogues were near a well, a river, a stream, a body of water. They were in that area. So because he understood that, he went down to a body of water, some kind of moving water, saying, maybe there'll be some believers down here so I can do that. Again, just do what you're always supposed to do. Just keep moving forward. And he gets down there and he runs into these women. It's, it's interesting. So this woman's name is Lydia, and we learn a bunch of things about her. Um, fantastic woman. Uh, great story for us to understand. But the first thing is, uh, Lydia sells purple. I, I don't know how you put that on a resume. Uh, I sell purple. Purple what? Just purple. Okay, sounds good. Why is that important? So understand this. Uh, the, the color purple is the color of royalty. Uh, it, was, it was very hard to make purple. Okay, so it was so difficult to make purple, it means that it's scarce, it means there's not a lot of it, which means how much does it cost? A lot. And who would buy that? Wealthy, rich people. Not many people had that ability to do that. And so what we find is that she was selling beautiful things to beautiful people who had lots of money. And most likely, she was highly successful because of that. It says that she was a God-fearer. Your Bible might say worshiper of God. That's not how it might be translated. But what it means is she used to be a pagan, that she was polytheistic, meaning that she worshiped many gods before, and now she's monotheistic, meaning she only worships one God, namely Yahweh, the, is, the God of Israel. That's who she's worshiping now. Um, and so that's where she is. So she is seeking out this God, Yahweh, and trying to figure out like, who is this guy. I, I want to worship him, so I'm going down the river because that's kind of what they do. But she wasn't a Jew. She was not Jewish. And as Paul starts to talk with her and explain the gospel to her and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for her and that she can have salvation through Jesus Christ, we see that something happens, which is my third point, that God opened her heart to Jesus. It's interesting. Uh, she hears... Paul speaking, and then something happens in her heart. Something takes place in her heart that's different, that wasn't there before. That God did something. See, this, this is what I love about sharing the, the gospel and being evangelistic. It doesn't rely on me. It's not about me. I've just been called to tell you who Jesus Christ is, what he did, that he loves you, and that he died for you, and that you can have, you can have salvation through it. I can do that. I can't save you. You know what I've come to find after having three boys? I can't make anybody do anything. You can't make other people do stuff, can you? You can make consequences, you can try, but you can't. All you can do is be the mailman and deliver the mail. God is the one who changes the hearts of individuals. 
God is the one who opens the, the heart to understanding the truth of the gospel and draws him in. And something happened while she was listening. Uh, if, you, if you start breaking down the train, it's like she was drawn to it in such an, a, a way she couldn't, she sees beauty and she's drawn to it. She sees grace and she can't avoid going towards that grace. And that's what happens in her heart. And God opens her eyes in that moment. And what we see is that she is the first convert to Jesus Christ in all of Europe. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's kind of a huge, massive deal that God says, I'm going to save humanity. I'm going to go to this place called Europe, which is going to be a, a big deal later. And I'm going to pick this woman who shouldn't be picked. And I'm going to have her be the starting point for the gospel. She hears and she does something. She hears the gospel. God opens her heart and she responds. What's her response? Get baptized, right? Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I love him with all my heart. I'm going to follow him with everything. And then it says their whole family got baptized as well, meaning that they heard the gospel, they believed, and they had the same response. Get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then what did she do? She starts doing ministry out of her house. I love that. She's like, I got property. Bring a bunch of people over. And if you've ever been around, been around a Middle Eastern person, when you've done something kind to them, they're like, come eat, eat, come over, eat. That's what they do. They always feed you. So she come over and eat. And they urge them to come there. What we will find later in verse 40 is that that house becomes a central hub for the church and to support Paul. And it becomes like a, a, a church service every time they get together. Why is this important to us? Why does this even matter to where we are today? Because just like the Amish house movers, we can't do ministry alone. We need help. Macedonia is saying, come over and help us. I love that Paul was this evangelist that was just amazing at communicating the gospel and the law. He had Silas who could come and care for people. He could also communicate the gospel. He brought Luke along, who was not only a medical doctor, he was also like a pastor, a shepherd, and he was also writing everything down so we would know what was happening later. And then he brings Timothy along that he would use at different times. Like he would use Timothy to, to shepherd and care for him. He'd also send him out at different times, at different areas for him. And he's extending his arms and his reach. And he's got this team. And now he's got Lydia. And Lydia is becoming the central hub where he can continue to build people in to understanding who Jesus is and what he's done and exalt him and praise him. First uh, Corinthians 12 is really all about how we use our gifts. And he uses this really cool analogy. You, the, the, the body, the, the church is like a body. We got toes and fingers and eyes and ears and kidneys and lungs and hearts and, and brains. And you know what they all work together for? For the body. We need all of those for the body. Try running without a couple of toes. It's really hard. Try grasping something without a thumb. That's a really small thing that we don't think of. And then like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can grab things or see or hear. But it's all for one purpose to build up the body for what it's been called to do. And it talks about the church. I'm gonna skip those, those passages, but really, if you wanna read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it actually talks all about how the body works and how it functions and what it's there for. But we're all meant to use our gifts and our abilities to serve the church that can serve the world. That's what we're called to do. God has given each and every one of you gifts for ministry. Like, but I'm too young. No, nope. I'm too old. No. Nope. I'm not mobile enough. That's okay. Everybody's been given gifts by God to be used. Do you know that I'm not the guy who does everything around here? You, you know that, right? Like, I can't. 
I don't do everything around here. Actually, I have an amazing staff and they use all their gifts and abilities and they all have different, these different ways of seeing things and viewing things and they have backgrounds and other, you know, like Justin's really good at computers and I don't know how to use one. Like it's really important to have him here. Like, uh, I, I can't play the guitar. I can't, I can't do the piano. I, I, talk to Lynn. I'm not good at organization. I'm not good at processes. Lynn does that. <laughs> Mark is starting to build all this discipleship in the church, and he's just, like, everyone's using these gifts and the build. Etta does, like, she's put on the Harvest Fest. She's putting on VBS. But you know what's funny? It's not really about her because she has everyone else helping too, doesn't she? Do you see how the church works? It's not about any one person. And when you get to use your gifts, you have purpose. You actually have joy when you get to use the gifts and ability that God's given you. Like, I, I have meaning, I have purpose. Like, God wants to use me for something that has eternal value. And all of it is to push the gospel forward and the message of Jesus Christ forward. It doesn't matter if you are a janitor or you're a preacher on the stage. Everything works together to moving the gospel forward for Jesus Christ. You guys, we got to move a house. Our staff can't do it. We need a lot of people to help lift that house and move it down the road. We need you to be involved. I say it all the time. Everyone at a church does the dishes and the laundry. We don't have maids. We all pitch in. We all serve. We all do what we can. And you know what we're asking today? We're asking you to serve. We're asking you to get involved in the mission. A lot of you have been here and you've seen who we are. You've, you know, that's good. Test the waters, make sure we're not nuts. You don't want to get involved in a, in a cult. I'm all for that. But you've been here for a while. Have you ever asked the question, how can I serve? Everybody goes from at first becoming a consumer to consuming the gospel and understanding. That's, that's fine. That's, that's a good thing, right? We want to hear but we all move from consumership to serving. We all move in that direction. We have to be helping and putting our hands in there. You see, it's not, the question isn't, um, I wonder if I should serve. That, that's really the wrong question. The question is this, God, where do you want me to serve? We have created a lot of work. Mark spent weeks working on getting this ministry fair put together. Super grateful for him and all that he's done, all the work behind that, and everyone else has had their hands in it as well. But we're going to have all these booths out there. Don't leave. We're going to end service. We're going to ask you to go over there and go find a place to serve. Go find a place to get plugged in. There is something for everyone. I don't care if you're in junior high, high school, college age, if you're retired, if you have a full-time job, there is some place you can all serve. God wants to use all of us to move the gospel forward. Will you guys join me? Will you be a part of what we're doing? I'm going to pray. Have the band come back up, and then we're going to go ahead and give you guys an opportunity to worship Jesus and then go find a place where he would have you serve. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your church. Lord, you know in my story as well that this is how you even brought me into ministry, that I started, I started by counting numbers of people. And yet you had a plan for how you were going to use that. Lord, I ask that as these men and women are here, that they would ask the simple question, Lord, where would you have me serve in the church? And as they go over and they see all the different places that they can serve, that you would guide them, that you would open doors for them, and that they would understand the church has always been about a group of individuals working together to take the gospel forward 
that you would allow us to be a group of individuals working together to take the gospel forward, to serve the church and the community and the greater world as well. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.